Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hey, everybody. How are you? And welcome to the Behavioral Corner. It's me again, Steve Martorano, the only person that I know of who actually sort of gets to hang out on a street corner and make it worth his while. I mean, you know, most people are killing time. I'm out here on the behavioral corner hoping I run into interesting people who might shed some light on some important issues for us concerning our behavioral health. And you know what? I'm extraordinarily lucky. They keep dropping by. It's just amazing. And this, uh, this edition of the behavioral corner is no different than the others. I hope we got some good stuff for you. It's all brought to you by our underwriter partners, uh, Retreat Behavioral Health. Um, when you hear this on the podcast, we have rounded the corner into the holiday season, or as Andy Williams is fond of reminding us every 30 seconds, the most wonderful time of the year. Well, yes and no. <laughs> We're going to talk about home for the holidays, which it should come as no surprise. Anybody is both joyful and potentially stress-inducing. Holidays are difficult. A lot of demands, a lot of expectations, sometimes disappointments. Tough. Takes a pro to handle the holidays. That's what I always say. Uh, if you were to add to this situation, which you all experience, a history of substance abuse, and then recovery on top of it all, the effort to you know, recover from substance abuse, it can be a toxic stew no matter how wonderful a time of the year it is. So we went out and we got ourselves to some people who have been there and done that to tell us what their experience has been uh, going home for the holidays. To that end, we want to welcome Gloria Gallagher. Hi, Gloria. How are you? It's great to be I'm here. Good, I'm good. Uh, nice, nice for you to spend uh, some time with us. I know it's an interesting weekend. They were doing this right after Thanksgiving, so I've intruded upon some of their, uh, their long weekends. And... Um, Rennie Afamato joins us. That's Rennie up there. He's the one with the beard. If you're watching this thing on uh, on uh, YouTube, Rennie joins us from Retreat Behavioral Health, where, where he works, and we'll find out about that. Combined, these two uh, folks uh, represent almost 40 years of sobriety. We're going to find out their backstories right now. So, Gloria, why don't, why don't we begin with you? I mean, you have the lion's share of this uh, sobriety. You have uh, been sober for how long now? 32 years. I'm a person yeah. in long-term recovery. I have 32 years. That's remarkable. It's the thing we don't talk often enough about is that there are millions of people in long-term sobriety. So congratulations for you. you. Uh, tell us about yourself. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Well, I'm originally from Hershey, PA. I was born to a blue-collar, working-class, Italian-American family. My mother uh, was a teenage mother. She had me when she was 15. And so we lived with my grandparents for the first couple years. And then she got married and, and married my adopted father. And I've always been very close to my grandparents. However, I, like many, many other, um, when I hit adolescence, I just had a lot of issues that I had never dealt with. And I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And it just so happens that I found that in, in drugs and alcohol. Mm. How early on did that happen for you? Oh, I probably first discovered alcohol as early as six or seven. And I was smoking pot at 
like 11 and 12. And I uh, had taken a, a school trip to New York City and I got the New York City bug and I actually ran away from home and discovered all sorts of um, harder drugs, uh, cocaine and heroin. And I, I was introduced that way um, at the age of 15. Started mm-hmm. getting in trouble very early. Uh, yeah. I, st- I stole a car. I ended up in institutions. I, I was incarcerated, you know, several times before I was 18. And so, yeah, I was, uh, I was the really real into, deal. into the lifestyle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you ran the gamut of uh, substance abuse from alcohol to like the whole uh, menu. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Randy, how about you? What, what's the situation? By the way, I say this all the time. All stories of substance abuse and recovery are the same, except they're different. And, and uh, it's proven every time. Randy, what about you? So, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in New York City, um, downtown Manhattan, uh, a family of three brothers. My two older brothers are a lot older than me, eight and 11 years. Very loving family. My parents just celebrated 60 years of marriage. So there was a lot of love in the, in the family. And uh, but that didn't matter. You know, I my older brothers kind of paved the way for me a little bit. I started smoking pot at a very young age, probably eight or nine years old is the first time I smoked. And then I started drinking alcohol, beer, primarily, if not some hard liquor, you know, around 11 or 12. That's what my friends were doing. I hung out with a lot of older people uh, skateboarding through New York City, you know, hanging out and, and not going to school. I mean, the first time I got left back was in fourth grade. So it was around the same time I started smoking pot. You know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun until it wasn't. You know, I, I did get in a lot of trouble, but I'd never had really any big consequences until eventually I did. You know, that's kind of the backstory there. I'm always struck by, uh, I'm no longer struck, I should say, by the ages. I mean, the first time somebody told me they blacked out drinking and they were, you know, 10, I was stunned. But no more. I mean, you know, that's a pretty standard age. You mentioned your brothers being a sort of negative role model for you, Renny. But uh, uh, Gloria... And both of you, with regard to your family, was there a uh, any history of substance abuse in the families that you were aware of? Yes. The women in my family like to drink alcohol predominantly. My mother used substances. We have mental health that goes back as probably generations. I, I never realized that until I was much you know later into recovery and I, I could identify the symptoms that I was observing. But uh, yes, I would say mental health substance use, you know, my mother used to want to stay under a certain weight. So she would, she would um, use diet pills and speed and smoke marijuana. And, uh, and by all outside appearances, no one would have ever known that. But, you know, it was a a much different story inside of our home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Renny, were your, were your brothers similarly uh, abusing substances? So one of my brothers actually moved away when I was pretty young. He went to, uh, to the West Coast. And my, the other brother that I had, you know, um, my father and him, you know, they, they drank and they, they used marijuana. Um, and they're, they're artists. They're musicians. It's kind of the thing. <laughs> and growing up in the, the late 70s and early 80s, that's, that's what was going on, especially down in the village, you know. So it was, it was commonplace. Our friends were doing it. My friends were doing it at a young age. So it wasn't like it was out of the norm. You know, but it did affect our lives for sure. For sure. Yeah. When I say I was only being 
half facetious when I said all these stories are alike, but they're different. One of the hallmarks of the similarities is that the substance abuser winds up either consciously or unconsciously putting themselves in a place where the behavior seems normal, mm-hmm. right? You sort of find yourself gravitating towards like-minded people. We're, we're all doing the same thing. It can't be bad. And you're right. If you grow up, Benny, in the right moment or the wrong moment, and society you know, wide says, well, that's okay. He's just smoking pot. It can just seem normal. Until, as you say, it's it's no longer normal. Before we get into, you know, back in the house for the holidays, uh, how many times in uh, treatment for you, Gloria, overall? I was in three times, two of which were long-term treatment facilities over six months each. Um, So for me, I, um, I was in inpatient facility once. I was in multiple outpatient facilities over many, many years which never seemed to work for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it's safe to say that both of you put an enormous amount of stress and anxiety, uh, not only on yourself, but on your families. They were aware of what you were going through to the extent they could help you, I guess. Uh, they did. They certainly knew what was happening in your, in your life. So let's get to what we're really here to talk about. It's that time of the year. People get together. Families gather. Gloria, take a moment, and if you can, can you recall those first few times when you were still actively using? Were you engaged in the family, or were you estranged completely? I was mostly estranged. Uh, I had two much younger siblings uh, at home, and I I left home. I dropped out of school early in the 10th grade, uh, never to go back. I I ended up getting my GED while I was incarcerated. Before I go on, I just want to make one point, and Absolutely, 100%. The family was stressed out. I was in missing in action most of the time. We didn't have cell phones back then, so no one really ever knew where I was. But I do want to say that, you know, early in my life, as things, you know, happened in my life, we weren't a family that talked about anything. So I didn't know how to deal with anything that was going on internally. And so my coping mechanism was to run and to use drugs. And you're right. I sought out, I was attracted to that crowd. So everybody was stressed around Mm -hmm. the holidays, but I was mostly avoidant of my family early Mm -hmm. uh, in my addiction and early in recovery. I want to get to Rennie in a second, but this is what we're here to talk about. When you began to get a handle on your uh, recovery, when you were making those Mm -hmm. first steps, when did you feel you could reintroduce yourself to your family? Do you remember making a conscious decision? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back in that life. Do you remember that? Uh, I never fully stepped back in. I have small bouts of interactions with my family. It's much, much better now. But early, for I would say for a, quite a long time. I had very small intervals of contact. It's what I had to do. Family recovery was not popular 30 years ago. You know, the focus was on me and my addiction and my illness. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. uh, the family really didn't have coping mechanisms either. Mm -hmm. And Rennie, how about you? Those first steps back. Coming out of the last treatment center that I was in, it took a little bit of time for my immediate family. My, She's now my wife and my kids 
to accept me back into the house. I was couch surfing on my parents' couch for a while, but to let me back into the holidays and things like that, you know, that was kind of more up to where I was at in my head. I had to be prepared for that. I wasn't necessarily ready for that right off the bat. I have a very supportive family and they were waiting for me to come back. You know, I had to really make sure that I was ready as well because I didn't want to put myself or jeopardize the sobriety that I worked for to get into a place where I was going to lose it just like that. And that's what mm-hmm. would have happened if I wasn't mentally or spiritually prepared for it. Well, you know, that's that's really interesting. I'm going to ask you both about that as well. How do you now feel and how did you feel in those early days about the holidays? I mean, did they, you saw them coming, <laughs> here they come again. Did you run from them or did you, what did you get out of it, uh, Gloria? Uh, was it a problem for you looking at the holidays? What time period are we talking about now? No, no, no early on when you're still trying to get your feet under. Oh, I dreaded the holidays. Uh, yeah. they, they were a very miserable, sad, lonely time for me. I really didn't know how to approach them. I was very fortunate the first couple of years that I was in recovery. I'm about an hour from my family, so it wasn't that easy for me to, to get to them. I relocated to the town where I went to treatment in Lancaster. And I got into service really, really early on. And that honestly takes me right through the holidays. It lifts my spirits. If you can get into the uh, mindset that giving, and you're only going to receive if you give, uh, and that's your time, that's your you know service. That is what hooked me right there is to get through the holidays was to perform good deeds. Well, you used the magic word there, Gloria, and I want to ask Rennie about it. And that's dread. <laughs> dread, you know, there's so many expectations associated with the holidays. I mean, the commercial aspect of it alone is enough to drive you insane. It's almost required to be joyful and happy. And if you don't feel it, that's even worse. Dread's the right word. How was it for you, Rennie? Did you just go, oh, here they come again? Oh, yeah. You know, and in early sobriety for me, my first, uh, Christmas or, or holiday season, we, my family, we moved to Florida actually. And that's where I started with retreat and my, my family, my brothers, my parents, they came down to us. So it was like this horde of family coming down and what was I going to expect? You know, is it going to be the same as it was? You know, there was things that, that I didn't work out with my family yet, amends that needed to be made and, and things of that nature. So I wasn't really prepared for it and I expected the worst. And what I found was that if I just came in there knowing, and Gloria, you hit the nail on the head, service, right? I'm allowed to be with my family now. I get to do these things. You know, these aren't things that are, that are owed to me. They're not. Mm-hmm. So if I'm allowed to be there mm-hmm. and have that aspect of it, it's so much easier. You know, I make a turkey now. That's what I love to do. I love making a turkey. And that's okay. You know, feed people. Gloria and I spoke prior to her coming here on the corner. And uh, it was the first thing you mentioned was that, Here's how to integrate what this season's all about, and that's mm-hmm. help somebody else. So service is key. That's a great tip all by itself. Rennie, you mentioned something else that's interesting for people wondering, oh, my God, how am I going to walk back in that house? And what's it going to be like? It helps, doesn't it, when you have, you said you, you didn't know what to expect. It helps when you can manage your expectations, correct? Well, you know, I, I can't really... It's hard to manage them. You know, what I have to understand is that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I just have to, 
be prepared to ask for help if I need to. That's really what I need to do. Because no matter what I do, the physicality, whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. So I just need to be prepared and have the tools to get through those situations. And it's never as bad as I think. You know, it's that fear of the unknown. Yeah, I think that's what I meant by managing and understanding. Having reasonable expectations, uh, I think is what I meant. Renny Affamato is uh, our guest, along with uh, Gloria Gallagher, here to talk about their sobriety. They're both wildly successful. They have been uh, sober for many, many years. We congratulate them for that. They're talking about how they achieved that. A couple of things about what you guys are doing. Uh, Gloria, you are with the DDPA, correct, in Pennsylvania? I'm with the PA Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs. We call we call it DDAP. It's not it's not the most popular term, but DDAP. Yeah. What do you do with it? I'm a drug and alcohol program representative. I do uh, quality assurance, and we right now we're aligning providers with the ASAM, which is uh, American Society for Addiction Medicine criteria. Another unpopular term to some. But yes, I've been in state government for over 25 years. Rennie, you, you are with our underwriting partner, Retreat Behavioral Health. You're in, working in the new Connecticut facility, correct? I am, yeah. We, uh, we just opened uh, a little over, almost two years now, uh, February, almost two years ago, uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and I am a shift administrator and a manager of the CA department, the clinical aid department, as well as I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, the work they both do, incredibly important under any circumstances, but we've just passed some grim milestone this year with 100,000 deaths from drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. The game has changed dramatically. For those of you following it, relapse is something not to be surprised about, never has been. It doesn't automatically mean defeat. It hasn't historically. It's a stumble and you get back up and try to finish the race. Unfortunately, the dynamic has changed. And now that margin of error to pick yourself up and start again is vanishingly small because fentanyl will kill you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I only mention this because, well, first of all, the death toll is extraordinary. But again, to our theme about home and family for the holidays, how concerned were you in general during the holidays, even today, uh, that you might be tempted to relapse? Is there any, anything that triggers you guys about the holidays that you that you worry about, Gloria? Well, absolutely. In the beginning, yes, I, I was I was constantly concerned about returning to use, and I, I did not feel uh, that I was like out of the woods, and, and I'm still not after all these years. Although I had a lot more what we call recovery capital than I used to. But no, I, I was very, very vulnerable. And I needed to take every single precaution that I could to ensure that when I went home to visit family or, or any, any other type of event that came up that would cause me any type of angst, I needed to be prepared for that. Randy, how about you? What, what did you, not only do you have to manage your anxieties and potential relapse triggers. But I would guess that you, when you go back into the family setting, uh, it's making sure you're reading them correctly, right? For sure. And, um, you know, for me, alcohol is going to be around. Drugs are going to be around. It's, it's how I prepare myself that day and the steps that I take. 
I like to sit, call them bookend meetings, for instance. I, I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not afraid to say that. Um, I go to meetings before and after the holidays or during the holidays. I make sure that I talk to people in my program constantly. You know, like I said before, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. Family is a big trigger for me because there is a lot of history and a lot of issues that were in the past. And now, you know, I, like I said before, also, I get to be here and do these things with my family. So if I have that positive mindset, it does help out a lot. Now, I can't say that if there's a bottle of tequila right in front of me, that that's not going to trigger something. It will. But I also have the option today to remove myself from that situation. I don't have to sit at a table. You know, I can move. You know, it's so great. I, I appreciate so much you guys coming here and uh, not making it sound like it's the easiest thing in the world to get back mm-hmm. into the swing of this thing. And be honest, uh, as you have been, about the holidays, family, and maintaining sobriety it's critically critically important the holidays are every year they're coming <laughs> uh we all have to get ready for them and uh, if you're in uh, if you're in recovery you have to do a little more work that's like everything else though uh, uh Rennie, uh thanks so much gloria thank you so much leave people with a couple of things you said uh, both of you with regard to dealing with the holidays and that is uh, have a plan as Rennie says make sure you're working your uh, program uh, make sure you have your phone number if you got to call somebody. And uh, Gloria's uh, advice about, well, help others, serve. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing to consider this time of the year. Folks, enjoy the holidays. I can say that with confidence that you will. And I really appreciate you joining us on the Behavioral Corner. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And thank you all. You'll enjoy your holidays as well. Uh, we're here hanging through them. Uh, Behavioral Corner. Look for us wherever you find your podcasts and uh, follow us on Facebook. And You know, the whole smear. I'm Steve Martorano. See you next time on the Behavioral Corner. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.